The return of human launches to the U.S. is finally here. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. It's finally here. The launch of American astronauts from American soil is happening this week with the launch of NASA's Bob Behnken and Doug Hurley on a SpaceX rocket. The launch of the Crew Dragon capsule with astronauts on board has been nearly a decade in the making. We'll speak with the Atlantic's staff reporter, Marina Corin, about the mission, how we got here, and the challenges along the way. Then we'll speak with former astronaut and SpaceX director, Garrett Reisman, about the private company's push to fly astronauts and the paradigm shift of commercial space vehicles. That's ahead, but first, let's take a look at the latest space news stories making headlines. NASA says SpaceX is go for launch Wednesday. NASA and SpaceX completed what's called a launch readiness review, the final critical milestone ahead of the launch of astronauts Bob Behnken and Doug Hurley from KSC to the International Space Station. NASA's Kathy Leaders says while all the technical hurdles are just about cleared up, there's one major thing that could delay the mission, weather. All the teams were go, and we're continuing to make progress towards our mission. And now the only thing um, we need to do is figure out how to control the weather. As of Tuesday, a day before the launch, there's about a 40% chance that weather at Kennedy Space Center could force a scrub. Still, NASA and SpaceX are pressing on. Bob and Doug completed a dress rehearsal Saturday, ahead of the launch attempt Wednesday. We'll have a live feed of the launch attempt on our Facebook page. Be sure to give us a like. Just search for Are We There Yet? Podcast. NASA's commercial crew program has been in the works for nearly a decade. It's been a long journey paved by budget cuts, explosions, and, of course, rocket launches. The Atlantic's staff writer Marina Corin has been covering this story, and she joins us now to explain just how we got here. Marina, thanks for speaking with us. Thanks for having me. Well, Marina, let's go back to the start. Why was the commercial crew program started in the first place? Commercial crew program began about a decade ago now um, in earnest, and the effort came about because the United States needed a a next generation program to transport its astronauts to space. So NASA ran the space shuttle program for three decades, um, but that ended in 2011. And um, the the program was, I mean, despite two um, very terrible tragedies in 86 and 2003, for the most part, the space shuttle program was a fairly successful effort, but it was eventually decided under the Bush administration that it was time to wind it down. Um, And it was folded for a number of uh, reasons that you might, that anyone might guess, financial safety and um, matters of political will. And so... Uh, this happened back in 2004, the decision to wind down the space shuttle program. And at the time, uh, the Bush administration wanted to build a new transportation system that would go back to the moon. It it would be able to get to orbit, but also go to destinations beyond. Of course, things don't always work according to plan, especially when you have uh, changes in the White House. And so that plan was canceled under Obama. And so when the space shuttles finally stopped flying in 2011, the U.S. was left without any way to get to orbit. And that's kind of where we are at right now is we're about to get that capability back. 
Marina, so this is a moment um, in the making since 2004. Um, how did we get to this moment? Why did NASA eventually pick SpaceX and Boeing uh, for this you know, enormous task of, of launching humans once again now that the shuttle is gone? Well, so the commercial crew program started out with a couple of contenders to be, um, you know, these contractors that NASA would work with to send their own astronauts to space. And uh, SpaceX and Boeing, um, I guess you could say they just, they made it the farthest along. You know, they had um, really great designs and were making a lot of great progress, even though this program um, had some budget shortfalls in the beginning. Um, and NASA really gave these two companies a, a, the boost that they needed in 2014 that gave them billion dollar contracts um, to get to the finish line. And, and we're almost there. And uh, SpaceX is ahead uh, and, and Boeing, not sure yet when they're going to be flying people, but SpaceX made it to the finish line first. You mentioned the budget. There's been budgetary challenges throughout this program. Um Congressional funding didn't come when it needed to come through, but there's also been, you know, physical challenges as well. There there have been quite a few issues with testing these these capsules and these rockets. Can you kind of just briefly go over, um, you know, some of the challenges that both SpaceX and Boeing have had to deal with when designing and developing these these new capsules? There's the old saying, which is space is hard, and it's true. Uh, and as you know. A lot of times with space projects, whether it's NASA doing it or Boeing or SpaceX, there's a lot more optimism built in um, and people think that things are going to take, uh, things are going to be um, quicker than they actually end up being. So these types of technical programs are just really difficult and they take time. Um, and then of course there's the unexpected. So last year, for example, um, I mean, 2019 really looked like it was going to be the year that NASA astronauts were going to fly on either SpaceX or Boeing systems. Um, and especially because last March, SpaceX put on this beautiful uncrewed demonstration of their uh, system. You know, it, it was a very successful, flawless launch, seamless docking with the International Space Station, and then a picture-perfect splashdown in the ocean. But then less than two months later, that very same capsule during a ground test um, went up in flames because of a, SpaceX called it an anomaly. Um, whatever it was, that capsule was completely destroyed and it set that program back. And Boeing has had its own share of problems. Uh, and so, yeah, 2019 wasn't a great year for this program because last December, during Boeing's demonstration of a similar uncrewed mission, their capsule didn't even make it to the space station. There were just way too many software errors and glitches um, that the Boeing team found during flight and many others that they found once it was safely back on the ground. Um, you know, the capsule made it back, but it didn't complete its mission. And so Boeing now has to do a do-over of that mission. So that is setting them back even more. As you mentioned, SpaceX had challenges. They had that uh, so-called anomaly with the, the Crew Dragon. Um, there had also been issues before with um, some of the fueling systems on, on the Falcon 9 rocket. But all of that kind of has been resolved. And in SpaceX is close to getting the go-ahead from NASA um, to make to, to say that the Dragon is safe. Um, what are some things that SpaceX has had to do to prove to NASA that that this hardware, this this new spaceship, is safe to put on or to put NASA astronauts in it and send them up to space? 
a ton, a ton, a ton of testing. <laughs> there was the um, in-flight abort test, uh, which was either last year or this January. I've lost all sense of time, so I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Basically, SpaceX had to prove that it could launch this capsule on a Falcon 9 rocket. And if something were to happen, it could conduct an emergency test to um, very quickly spirit the astronauts away. So that was a really important test that went well. Um, SpaceX has had a couple of issues with some parachute testing. I mean, that part also very important and has to go right because this is the first time that astronauts are going to be returning to Earth in a splashdown um, the way they did since Apollo. So that's a big deal. Uh, and NASA also put SpaceX and Boeing through a couple of um, workplace culture reviews. You know, like not everything has had has involved, you know, making sure that propulsion systems are safe. NASA has also looked at the way that these programs are being run within these two companies. And all of that has to come together for then NASA to say, you know, go for launch. Because at the end of the day, SpaceX and Boeing are designing these, these systems from the propulsion systems to the interior design to the spacesuits. But at the end of the day, it's NASA that has to decide, okay, everything's safe. You're good to go. And Marina Corrin, this is this is a lot different than the way NASA has developed hardware in the past, right? In, in the past, NASA has said, hey, private industry, this is what we want, build it for us. Now it's, hey, private industry, this is what we need, get us a way to get there, right? This is this is a big paradigm shift for, for the agency. It really is. And and if, if this goes well, I mean, this is going to be the beginning of a truly new era in much the same way that the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo programs were their own confined moments in history in the same way that the shuttle program defined American spaceflight for 30 years. Like you said, NASA has always contracted out for um, you know its astronaut transportation systems, but this is the first time that it's really handed over the reins like this. Uh, in the case of SpaceX, the two astronauts that NASA has picked to fly on that first mission Doug Hurley and Bob Behnken, they trained at SpaceX headquarters, not at Johnson Space Center, which is where astronauts have trained for years. So it's really um, just fascinating to see the world's top agency handing over responsibility like this, but the buck still stops with them. So it's a really interesting dynamic. Despite coronavirus, this launch is still happening. Um, NASA has considered the commercial crew program essential. Why is that? That's a, it's a good question. And I think that's a, a question that has probably prompted a lot of soul searching within NASA in the last couple of weeks, even months. Uh, you know, the International Space Station is considered essential. And that's the reasons for that are much more obvious. There's three people on board right now, including one American. You can't just, you know, shut the lights off at this moment and say, we'll come back or, you know, we'll, we'll pay attention to you guys when the pandemic is over. And so by extension, NASA sees supplying the ISS with astronauts as essential. Um, and there's, I think that they're so close to the, the finish line on this um, and that they feel that if they are able to safely carry out this launch without putting astronauts and personnel at risk, which they feel that they can do, they want to move ahead with it because they want to stop paying the Russians to launch their astronauts from Kazakhstan. They want to remove themselves from the arrangement that the United States has had ever since the shuttle stopped flying. The moment is here. The pandemic is inconvenient, but they just want to get get on with it and move ahead. And this this mission has kind of deviated from the original plan uh, for Bob and Doug to go up there for a short period of time, help SpaceX prove that the system works. 
um, and then pave the way for an actual operational mission of six months in the future. Instead, Bob and Doug are staying for an extended period of time, and I've, I've got to guess it's because there is only one person on the station right now. Is that why this, this mission has been extended, is, is to help support the space station with, with NASA astronauts? That's what NASA officials have said. Um, you know, it's not uncommon to have three people on board the ISS at a given time. Right now, that's, I believe, two cosmonauts and one American. The, the, the size of the crew that you normally want is six people, because then you can do all the science you want to do. You can do all the space walks that you need to do. And so NASA officials are saying that it would help if Bob and Doug stayed longer, because then you wouldn't just have to limit your spacewalks for emergency repairs, for example. You could do a bit more. Um, you know, they just want to maintain their presence on the ISS. And if it almost seems, I think at this point, like a waste of a trip, you know, if they make it up there and everyone's fine, why not fill out the crew a little bit more with more Americans? I mean, this is a half of the ISS is American run. Why not, um, you know, keep your astronauts there for a little bit longer? Marina Corin, this is a story that is, you know, more than a decade in the making. Um, you and I have followed it for quite some time. It's finally happening, um, but it's happening without all of the fanfare that we expected, say, months ago, right? Coronavirus is is keeping people at home. Jim Bridenstine even asked people not to come out to the Kennedy Space Center. Does the moment get lost because there are not folks lining the shores and pomp and circumstance surrounding this this milestone mission? Or, or do you think that it still holds its place in, in history despite coronavirus? I wish we could jump forward in time and see what the textbooks have to say about this moment. And if there's a little chunk there about the SpaceX launch, um, I think it is going to be a pretty, it's definitely going to be an unprecedented launch in that so many people are going to experience this from home, but they're, that's the way they're experiencing their lives. Many people, that's the way they're experiencing their lives anyway. And so in some ways, watching this on a live stream is just the same as, you know, going to work on a Zoom meeting or seeing your doctor on a, in a telehealth appointment. This is just one more thing that we have to do from home. And I think, I mean, I won't be there and I'm heartbroken about it, but I do also worry about the people who are going to come out. And as you said, Jim Bridenstine said, watch this from home, tune in online, don't come out. But at the same time, Florida's beaches are open. You know, people might decide to flock to Cape Canaveral to get a good look. Um, and so it's just, it's going to be a weird time. You know, it's not going to be like other big SpaceX launches. For example, the Falcon Heavy, that was a huge event, event, a huge affair. So many people, this is going to be almost like more of a Charlie Bolden, the, the former NASA administrator put it to me as a, it's going to be like a military exercise, you know, but the astronauts, he said, aren't thinking about the crowds anyway. They're just thinking about getting everything right. And finally, Marina Korn, you, you write a lot about the human aspects of, space exploration and space flight and how it kind of affects everyone. Um, what do you foresee this moment in, in space flight history? What, what is going to, to define it for, for generations to come? Yeah, I think this launch kind of reminds me of the Falcon Heavy launch back in 2018 that I just mentioned. Uh, that was obviously a very different launch because um, Elon Musk launched one of his Teslas into space. His company wasn't launching human beings. But I remember that that launch just being a reminder of just how much space exploration has changed. You know, 
it really captured the difference between the way that space was done before and the way it's done now, because for the longest time, human space travel was done by national governments. Um, now it's being done by companies like SpaceX. And the fact that they're now able to launch people and not just the cherry red Tesla, that's incredible. This is a huge shift in the way that space exploration is done. And I think that, you know, especially for future generations, Neil Armstrong is a household name for sure, but you know, the, the household names of future space exploration initiatives is going to be Elon Musk. It's going to be SpaceX. We've been speaking with Marina Corrin. She's a staff writer at The Atlantic focusing on space. Uh, Marina, thanks so much for speaking with us. Anytime. Always a pleasure. That was The Atlantic's Marina Corrin. Still to come, the development of Crew Dragon from the eyes of an astronaut. That's ahead when Are We There Yet returns. Since the end of the space shuttle program in 2011, NASA has relied solely on the Russian space agency to send astronauts into space. We weren't launching from America. We weren't in charge. And we weren't the leaders of the world in terms of human spaceflight. That reliance ends this month as SpaceX prepares to launch humans from the U.S., a first in nearly a decade. Tune into Return to Flight, an hour exploring this historic mission. Wednesday at noon on WMFE and WMFV. You're listening to Are We There Yet? I'm Brendan Byrne. The launch of the Crew Dragon capsule with two astronauts on board has been nearly a decade in the making. Astronaut Garrett Reisman flew on the space shuttle. After retiring from NASA, he worked for SpaceX until 2018, helping the company plan for astronaut safety. I caught up with Reisman to talk about this historic mission. Oh, it's just incredible that we've reached this point. I remember when this whole Demo 2 mission was just something, a, a single line that we put on a spreadsheet one day. <laughs> and now here we are, you know, nine years after we started working on it and um, uh, and and it's coming to fruition. So it feels great. And um, uh, it's just really gratifying uh, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on right now. It's um, kind of a, just a, a really positive ray of su- sunshine, if you will, that we've we're pulling this off. Garrett, this is this is a, a paradigm shift for the way that NASA operates, right? They're, they're putting uh, astronauts in the hands of commercial partners, uh, SpaceX this week, um, but there's another one, Boeing, that, that's also working towards this. Um, what, what's it like coming from, from an astronaut's viewpoint um, to know that this is a different vehicle and a different way of getting to orbit? Well, yeah, in some ways it is very different, but in other ways it's actually not that different. Um, there were private companies that always built uh, vehicles for NASA. NASA didn't have a NASA factory that built the Saturn V or the space shuttle. In fact, uh, even uh, the Chrysler Corporation built pieces of uh, some of the Saturn rockets. So um, so in, in that sense, it's the same. But what's different is the relationship between the government and the contractor. Uh, in the past, NASA called every shot and, and really made uh, was responsible or, or, or tied into making every decision or approving every decision. Now they give a little more latitude to the contractor uh, so that they can be a little bit more innovative. And, um, and, and, and so that, that is a little different. And the other thing that's different is that uh, SpaceX owns the vehicle and operates it. And, and uh, NASA provides the astronauts and, and pays for the service. But after this mission is over, SpaceX can keep the rocket, keep the spacecraft, and they can use it uh, for something else, including flying private citizens into space. Garrett, this is a, a test mission, 
Um, you know, there are two humans on board, two astronauts, Doug and Bob, but at the heart of it, this is a test mission. Um, what are some things that both NASA and SpaceX are probably going to be keeping their eyes on during this, this, this trip, uh, this, this launch from Kennedy Space Center to the International Space Station, and then its return? What are some important things that they need to look at? Well, this is a test flight, and, um, but, but more or less it's going to follow a nominal or normal profile, just like all subsequent flights of NASA astronauts on Dragon up to the space station. There are a few extra things that they're throwing in there just to test uh, a few things out. One of, one of those is uh, most notable is that Bob and Doug at, at two different points will take manual control of the vehicle and just kind of take her around the block a little bit just to, just to see how she handles. Um, that is a backup capability. Normally, the vehicle would go up and down to the space station completely autonomously with, with no manual input from the, from the crew on board the vehicle. But with the exception of that, it's pretty much a normal mission. Uh, but so what we're going to be looking at is, uh, is all the data and how the vehicle performs. And what we're looking for is just to make sure everything is as we expect. And really, until it comes back and all that data is poured over, the vehicle is not officially certified by NASA. So they get that big NASA stamp of approval that the certification is done. We need to get this mission done, come back, look over everything, and have everything check out. What kind of assignment is this for astronauts like Bob Bank and, and Doug Hurley. Is this kind of the dream assignment to have the, you know, the, the maiden voyage of, of, a, of a space vehicle like this? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is a dream assignment, especially for a test pilot astronaut. Uh, test pilots are all about uh, taking vehicles up for the first time and trying out the, the, the shiniest and newest machines. And uh, so I'm sure that uh, these two guys, Bob and Doug, are, are, are very tickled to have this chance. Um, so, yeah, it is, uh, it is not your average run-the-mill assignment, but uh, uh, at the same time, um, uh, I'm very confident Bob and Doug's ability to pull it off. When you look at this, this vehicle, it's, it's very different from any other space vehicle that's out there, from shuttle to Soyuz. It's, it's sleek, it's cool, there's touchscreens. Is that a, a difficult transition for an astronaut um, coming from shuttle to, to learn how to fly a brand new vehicle like this? And, and, and are these sleek additions, are these just whistles and bells or is, is there a real uh, necessity to having it look the way it looks and, and feel the way it feels? Well, transitioning from shuttle to Dragon actually is quite easy. It'd be much harder to go the other way because Dragon is so much more automated uh, and demands so much less of its, of its crews. You know, a lot of the things that we trained for and did on shuttle were being basically manual computers to handle uh, off, off nominal events or contingencies where the, where the computation power, you know, based on these computers that were designed in the 1970s, uh, just wasn't there to automate all those things. And so we had to do it all manually. And that took years of training and very hard practice, and it took a lot of skill. Um, a lot of those things uh, Dragon does all by itself, the, the, the Biggest uh, um, differences between Dragon and Shuttle are are the fact that uh, that the software and the electronics are just so much more capable. So some of that is kind of superficial, things like the touchscreens and and yeah, that takes a little getting used to. Uh, it's a different look and feel. The cockpit is very different uh, from the the uh, cockpit of the Shuttle with all the thousands of switches and circuit breakers. Um, but really, the important thing is not really the interface. The important thing 
is uh, the operation of the vehicle and transferring all the burden uh, on the, that was on the crew uh, to the computers. It seems like it's taken a while to get to this moment, um, but when you look at the trajectory of SpaceX as a company, um, they've gotten here very quickly, um, from, from vertically landing rockets to now getting ready to launch NASA astronauts um, in, in their very short time that they've been around on the scene. Uh, what do you credit SpaceX's kind of ingenuity and this kind of accelerated pace of, of development? What, what's the secret sauce? Yeah, so SpaceX came a long way in a short period of time, and I give a lot of credit to Elon because it's really his drive and the de- determination that uh, that has pushed us along and gotten us to this point. So, um, and and it's really just a, um, a, 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 you know, it is a very Silicon Valley kind of feel when you come visit SpaceX. We have free froyo in the lobby <laughs> and everything, but. Um, but it's also just a, a belief in rapid design development and test engineering cycles. So you, you, you go, you design something, you very quickly build it and test it and learn. And don't be afraid to fail the first time um, when, you know, as long as nobody's going to get hurt and the consequences are low, uh, go out and try something and, and, then, and then have the agility to change it if it doesn't work. And, and, and really, a lot of that is the way NASA was during the Apollo era. It's really interesting. I've had a, a lot of Apollo era astronauts and flight directors come from tours of SpaceX, and they say that SpaceX today reminds them a lot of what life was like during Apollo at NASA. And, um, and so I think that that uh, kind of can-do spirit and uh, is really uh, that plus, plus um, you know, leveraging the very best technology, not only in the aerospace industry, but in any industry. I think that's been a, a couple of the keys to the SpaceX's success. And finally, Garrett, uh, maybe you have talked to them, um, but um, what words would you have for for Bob and Doug uh, now that we're just uh, almost a, a day away from from launch? <laughs> Mostly, I just wish them, a, a, you know, a good flight. And and um, yeah, we, we, they they did. So I am officially one of their launch guests, and they were soliciting because we because we're not having launch guests uh, in general come to the Kennedy Space Center because of the virus. Um, so they said, instead, everybody take a picture and we'll send it to Bob and Doug. Uh, and so we, my son, who's nine year old, uh, he, he made a sign that said, Bob and Doug, don't push the big red button. And then, uh, my wife added to it in small print. She said, unless you really have to. <laughs> and that's the abort <laughs> button, right? You wouldn't want to press that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's good advice. That was retired NASA astronaut and former SpaceX director, Garrett Reisman. We'll have a live feed of the launch attempt on our Facebook page. Be sure to give us a like. Just search for Are We There Yet? podcast. And tune into WMFE and WMFV Wednesday at noon Eastern time for Return to Flight, an in-depth look at this mission. We'll talk with astronauts and administrators about the journey to this moment and what it means for American spaceflight. Are We There Yet? is a production of WMFE and WMFV. Editorial guidance this week from Matthew Petty. Our director of content is Steve Yasko. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from you, our listeners. And you can help this show and the local journalism you rely on by making a donation at WMFE.org. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. For nearly a decade, NASA has relied solely on the Russian Space Agency to send astronauts into space. 
That ends this month as SpaceX plans to launch humans from the U.S. Join me, Brendan Byrne, for a special broadcast, Return to Flight, about this historic mission, Wednesday at noon on WMFE and WMFV. Sponsored by VisitSpaceCoast.com.